coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. The other thing that happens for business owners with a book is that you change the conversation. You are now the authority because the root of authority is author. You have a gift that is perceived as very high value, but doesn't cost you that much to give. And it sits on the shelf. Like I've had people interview me on their radio or TV or podcast because they had one of my books sitting on their shelf. In fact, I was invited to contribute to one of the Chicken Soup for the Souls books because the editor had one of my books that had been sitting on her shelf. And I was honored because she'd gone through multiple moves, but it made the cut every time. And so, you know, she pestered me with, you know, to to submit for that. So a book has a long tail. Mm -hmm. And unlike a business card or a brochure or a magazine, or sorry, even a podcast is perceived as, as news. So, you know, even though Yesterday's newspaper still has great information. People want to read today's newspaper, but it's not so with books. Books are legacy assets. So what people want to do is have a combination of legacy assets and live assets. But writing a book, obviously, I have an MBA. Well, not obviously. I do have an MBA. And obviously, therefore, I make a business case for why, especially for entrepreneurs, writing a book is the highest leverage marketing tool you can have is your own book once you know how to market it, which we'll get to in just a second. But I want to emphasize that really there's such a huge value in listening to yourself and honoring your life experience and seeing if you can distill the essence of what you learned so that you can share it with others. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Aurora Winter, who is an author and coach, and she's written many, many books, So, but this is one of them. She has just written Turn Words into Wealth. So Aurora has a knack for written language. She's written many, many books, and she helps coach and consult other people that have a book in them. We talked about the book that I've written and I've never done anything with. Aurora is an expert of creating that buzz and creating the marketing behind your book and your book launch. If you already have a book, Aurora also can help, sort of in my situation, she can help launch that relaunch that, I guess you can say, into the marketplace. So really, really interesting. Again, if you're looking to write a book, if you have some type of book that's already out there, already been published, and it's not really producing for you, listen to today's episode. Reach out to Aurora. She's going to help you be able to get that book out into the mainstream. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce with Aurora Winter. Oh, I loved listening to your show. Pass the Secret Sauce is my new favorite podcast show. And I love the stories that some other guests have shared. I had somewhat similar to one of your guests whose name I I space on. It was all about Sunday. It was all about Disney 
watching mm -hmm. Disney Sunday. That was the treat of the week. But other nights, my father's a professor and my mother is a genius. So we would have the blackboard by the table and wow. the encyclopedia and the mungus dictionary, the doorstop kind. Yeah. And so there was always like a teachable moment. And then my mom or my dad would get out, you know, the map of the world or the dictionary or the thesaurus, or they would actually use the freaking blackboard <laughs> table. But I loved it. And the other favorite game that we played, it wasn't like an official game, but it was something that we always did is, okay, how can we brainstorm turning this into a business? Yeah. We came up with so many oh, interesting. dollar business ideas. And my dad really frustrated me because he was an academic. So he yeah. didn't really start any businesses. Yeah. But my whole family, my two but brothers. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting that he had, they had that mindset to be able to you know go that route. I mean, unfortunately he didn't like you said he didn't have that follow-through but but that's interesting that that they were interested in having those kinds of conversations yeah well he my father he's still alive he's an economist and he's written a couple of books about econometrics so all right if you want some textbooks yeah so he was very interested but he also he was born in 1930 scary yeah. thing to start a business well you and i both know that from personal experience it's a roller coaster ride yeah. absolutely absolutely but not having lived through the Great Depression, uh, perhaps not as terrified as as some other people would yeah. be. Yeah. So did you have siblings too growing up? Or? Yeah. I am the ham in the sandwich, as my mother would like to say. <laughs> I have an older brother, uh, Calvin, Dr. Calvin Winter, and I have a younger brother, Bryce. And they're like completely different. My older brother, he's so smart. He's a, a quantum physicist. And he knows five languages, but he's the kind of guy that actually, literally, I'm not exaggerating, would jog to high school carrying his briefcase. Really? Oh, wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> so he's like that archetype, the Einstein uh, messy hair archetype. And then my younger brother is the diametrically opposed. He's like, he always looks like the cover of GQ magazine. He's gay. He's very uh, tuned into color and beauty and has that aesthetic thing going on and I got to enjoy both both of those influences yeah I love yeah. it I love it that's cool that's very cool so w when were you first exposed to entrepreneurialism you've done a lot of different things but when, when would you <laughs> say is the first besides the brainstorming at the table <laughs> it was when my older brother said hey why don't I help him I grew up on a farm mm -hmm. a hobby farm that got carried away <laughs> It's supposed to be a hobby farm. What, what, what did you guys have? Was it? Was we it ended up having three hundred acres of corn silage and about three hundred head of cattle. Oh wow! Not dairy though, beef, yeah. and uh, two horses, which were mine. Wow. <laughs> cool. Oh, the question: entrepreneurship. So my older brother had some kind of deal going with my my parents. So he said, "How about if I pay you, Aurora, two cents an hour to help me harvest the hay?" I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Later, I'm like, wait a minute, two cents an hour. That's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was also in 4-H as a kid. So Very actually cool. I won reserve grand champion with my, my Simmental at the time, who was named Biff Tech. So I didn't have any illusions. Biff Tech? Biff Tech, which is French for beef steak. <laughs> uh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so entrepreneurialism started young and never really stopped. I don't think I'm very hireable. Yeah. <laughs> When, when did you realize that, you know, we all have those, those kind of stories where, you know, we've tried to get jobs and whatnot, but what, what types of stories did you have where you were? Uh, uh, well, to... 
I just get so, I can see a great idea. And then when I, like I, I had a couple of jobs in the film business and I would suggest the idea. And then it's like, oh, things are moving as slow as the molasses. It's like watching paint dry. It was like yeah. excruciatingly painful watching people either not be willing to jump on a good idea or not being able to say yes or not being able to execute. And I would get really frustrated. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I'll do it. But yeah. said, the first company I started, not the first company, sorry, that's wrong. One of the companies I started was a film and television production company. We raised $5 million and made eight films. And it was it grew out of that impatience. I'm like, why can't you see how to do it? Okay, never mind. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> so what, what types of films did you guys make? Uh, a variety of films, family, family films. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Wait, so what happened next after, your, after your, uh, your film company? Did that evolve into anything or? I had two other companies before the film company, but the film company, I've always loved writing. Mm-hmm. I've always loved story. I got into film because I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to tell stories that would change the world. Like it's one of your missions to you know, mm-hmm. change the world. Yeah. And I thought, well, what is more powerful than to tell somebody they should live a certain way or that something is good or to have a story about it? And I think, you know, it's obvious the answer is that stories are far more persuasive because they get under our skin. They get into our hearts. They change the way we see the world. They can change how we perceive a hero. So after I had my film and television production company with a man that I was in love with, but then we broke up because he cheated on me. Uh-huh. Um, so then, then I thought, okay, well, how else can I? And then I had a job in film. And then I thought, well, what is a better way to express this love of story than to write books? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to raise $20 million and have this. Uh... So then I, uh, I started writing books. Well, I started writing books when I was nine, but they were mostly drawings of unicorns with a few words. But I just really leaned into my love of, of storytelling and I've written and published a number of books and I love helping people with their books. I also write fiction. I've written a bunch of screenplays. Mm-hmm. So I, I leaned into that, but then I got distracted with another couple of businesses, but that happens every time I'm like, Oh, I have a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Turn it into a business. Yeah. Yep. No, exactly. Exactly. You've written a number of books now. So what did you learn along the way about, you know, frameworks or anything like that, you know, crafting that story, obviously you're, you're an expert at crafting stories any insights or tips on how to how to get that message out or how to understand what it is that you should be writing about? Because I know for me, writing is like pulling teeth a lot of times. I, I just don't know what to write about or is this interesting, not interesting? You know, any any tips or advice oh, or anything there? So many tips. We could talk about this for many hours. <laughs> what are the most useful tips? Okay, if you, the reason I wrote my most recent book, which is called Turn Words Into Wealth, blueprint for your business brand and book. The reason I wrote that was because of people like you asking me that kind of question and, and people such as yourself, like you have such expertise. And I love this podcast because you have such curiosity and you've got a very quick mind and you're asking great questions. And so, but so many people who have so much to offer don't write books because they don't know what to put down. So right. if when you are in the right flow, when I'll, I'll get in a minute how to get there, it's not so much about getting it down. Like I can't type fast enough or dictate fast enough to get the ideas down because I don't have the idea. It has me. Yeah. 
-hmm. So when you are, um, when you've lined things up, so you're talking about your life experience, or you're talking about your areas of expertise, or you're talking about something that you're really passionate about, you know, you probably can't get the words out fast enough, like I am right now, <laughs> like, you know, so the, the main thing is to take a step back. And before you face that empty, blank, intimidating page, mm -hmm. consider, well, what what am I doing here and why am I doing it and what really matters? So what I do with my clients, I have a process called spoken author. We first look at, okay, what, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to build your business? Are you trying to leave a legacy? Are you trying to explore your memoir and, you know, leave something for your grandchildren? What is the purpose? And then, you know, we talk about that a bit and, and, and I understand what their goal is. And then given that, create a structure. So once somebody who is even not experienced at writing has a structure, then you can be interviewed by somebody like myself, or you can talk yourself onto the, uh, any kind of iPhone app where words can, can do the dictation and, and away you go. So structure is your friend. When you, when you have a map about where you're going, it's like a coloring book. You know, you can just shade it in. It's not that hard. It's like when you have a blank piece of paper and you don't know what you're coloring, you don't have the outline. And just a quick story about that. When I first learned about screenwriting, I was like, what? This is so difficult. Yeah. You know, you have to hit precise marks for, you know, the, the inciting incident and the, the hook and the first act turning point has to be like on page 20. And then the whole thing has to be, you know, 110 pages and you've got to have a mid act turning point and a act two turning point and the hero has to arc. I'm like, ah, how can I do all of this? But actually any kind of free framework that is proven to work is not constricting you. It is liberating you because I know that if I hit those marks, the screenplay will work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same, like a blueprint for building a house. I mean, if you don't have any blueprint, you might, for, you know, you might forget to put the foundation and pour the concrete <laughs> and put rebar in. But if you have a blueprint, you know, it's going to have four walls, going to have a roof, it's going to have a foundation. So it's the same with writing. And that was a very long answer. And I have more to say, but I'll let you say something. So, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> the screenplay analogy, that's, that's really interesting because you, you mentioned there's, you know, whatever, 10 different parts or 10 different things that you have to hit. When you, when you read, I'm assuming you've read a number of screenplays that weren't necessarily your own, right? Can you, can you tell, you know, did this person or did this writer do it correctly and this one should be it versus, you know, one that wasn't done correctly? And even if, even if this, this one over here was a bad story or a, a great story, but maybe they just didn't phrase this correctly or, or structure it correctly. Does that, does that make sense? Well, I've read a lot of screenplays because I was head of development for Canada's largest film and television production company, then Atlantis Film. So I was responsible for over 250 hours of on-air programming. Wow. Means, you know, 10 or 100 times that in development script. Yeah. So yes, I am not God. So I'm not perfect. Yeah. Uh, we did pass on some really good projects that turned out to be, you know, home runs. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can basically tell, and there, you know, there, there is more than one kind of movie structure. Most people would be familiar with the hero's journey structure. Yeah, right. There's more than, you know, there's more than the hero's journey, although that is the most popular one. But a lot of first time screenwriters are like a lot of first time book authors. They are just winging it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Winging it is not good enough. Yep. And 
you know, it just takes too much money to make a movie. And it takes too much time to write a book, in my view, to do it without, without a plan. I would much rather work with somebody from the get-go when they're like, I have no idea, but I'm sure I have a book in me somewhere, than to work with somebody who's already spent, you know, two years writing their manuscript and then brings me this mess. Yeah. Which is hard to untangle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what, it, what would you suggest people do if they if they do set out on this path to write a book? And like you said, you know, some people have been writing it for years. I guess obviously it's probably best if they if they got put on this path originally, you know, before they started. Uh, but but say they have been working on this thing for a few years, is there a way to be able to sort of deconstruct what they already have and then you know place it into this? into this framework or, or absolutely and I have a couple of um of of quick tips and some recommended reading so I wrote my whole book to answer this question so you can get my book turn words into wealth for free if you're listening in the month of May so you can get it on Amazon or Kobo or Apple or wherever you get your books so read that it took me years to write it it'll take you a, a day to read it and yeah. it will get you off to a good start another great resource is the book called story grid which is more around movie writing, but it's a really wonderful resource. And I believe you can also get that for free on his website, which I think is storygrid.com or something like that. Um, But I think that the the thing I want to, I want to take a 50,000 foot view for a moment, which is first, your story matters. Your life experience matters. Your business expertise matters. And you may very well be the answer to somebody's prayers. So first off, consider how can you make the world better? How can you change the world? What problems have you already solved? Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. What problems do you wish that you hadn't gone down that rabbit hole of attempting to solve? Because that was a black hole of despair and desperation. You can save somebody that trouble. And then if you're in business, also consider how could you attract your ideal client? So one of my client, Justine and Janice Stone, they have a dentistry practice in San Diego, A-plus family dentistry. 
And they were just like, you know, they were great dentists, but attracting clients like every other dentist. And we worked together. I found out about their business. I came to understand that the average dental patient might spend $400, but somebody who's over 40 might spend $4,000 or $10,000 because they need more work. And they did have the expertise to do crowns and veneers and all that kind of stuff. So I suggested, how about a book, Keys to a Healthy Smile After 40? They loved it. So then I interviewed them and, and produced the book for them and their business grew from 1.5 to 6 million. So it was a huge, it makes a huge difference if you reverse engineer it. And if you're our business owner, if you can attract your ideal client for 10 X, the amount or 20 X, the amount that uh, an average client is, if your book can be used to reposition you as the go-to expert, that would be super smart. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. so their book actually contains a lot of interesting personal stories. They grew up in Vietnam and they were in a concentration camp. But if the book had been named something about, you know, going from Vietnam to America, I mean, that would not have increased their business as much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so reverse engineer it and see how you can, how you can highlight the value that you already add as a business owner and provide a book that would appeal to many people and would benefit many people. But you don't have to explain, you know, your 29-step process of dentistry or sprocketizing. You yeah. just you just need to become somebody that they know, like, and trust. And then the right people will, you know, come to you, Matt, if they want to sprocketize their business exactly. or go to them if they want to have a healthy smile after 40. That partly answered your question. What else would you like to know? So I'm curious, we have the book here now, right? And I mean, you mentioned this dental practice that, you know, grew, what's five times, six times. That wouldn't have necessarily happened just by writing the book. There's obviously a lot of promotions and, and uh, you know, other things that wrap into that as well. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the techniques of getting the book to be seen? Absolutely. And we've got to do this with your book, Sprocketize. Yes. <laughs> I think that the main thing is for people to understand, uh, like in the book, Turn Words to Wealth, I, I, I give a whole bunch of examples and seven different models that you can use to monetize your book and, and make seven figures or so, depending on where you start, obviously. And, and none of those ways are by selling books. That's the eighth way. <laughs> the eighth wonder of the world. So ways to monetize your book. Firstly, it wasn't only their book that helped them. It was understanding what their ideal, who their ideal client was, beginning to speak that language, positioning as the go-to experts for people over 40, offering the book as, as a bonus for people who comes in. And that increased their referrals. They already had a lot of referrals because they were Janice and Justine Donor, amazing dentists and really kind and lovely ladies. But if you give somebody a book, it's so much easier for them to make a referral. They can either say, here, these are my dentists, read this book. It's pretty cool. Or they can say, hey, you can get this book on Amazon. These are my dentists. And it also created a higher awareness within other, within their profession. Like they, they were um, top 40 under 40 dentists in America. And there there was a, a seminar about that. And they were autographing books to their peers. Yeah, And because the last time they'd been at that conference, they were equals, but this time, because they were published authors, they were a step ahead. So there's also this level of pre-suasion that Robert Cialdini, the author of Influence, talks about in his book called Pre-suasion. And so the other thing that happens for business owners with a book is that you change the conversation. 
you are now the authority because the root of authority is author. You have a gift that is perceived as very high value, but doesn't cost you that much to give. And it sits on the shelf. Like I've had people interview me on their radio or TV or podcast because they had one of my books sitting on their shelf. In fact, I was invited to contribute to one of the Chicken Soup for the Souls books because the editor had one of my books that had been sitting on her shelf. And I was honored because she'd gone through multiple moves, but it made the cut every time. Yeah. And so, you know, she pestered me with, you know, to, to submit for that. So a book has a long tail mm-hmm. and unlike a business card or a brochure or a magazine, or sorry, even a podcast is perceived yeah. as, as news. So, you know, even though yesterday's newspaper still has great information. People want to read today's newspaper, but it's not so with books. Books are legacy assets. So what people want to do is have a combination of legacy assets and live assets. But writing a book, obviously, I have an MBA. Well, not obviously. I do have an MBA. And obviously, therefore, I make a business case for why, especially for entrepreneurs, writing a book is the highest leverage marketing tool you can have is your own book once you know how to market it, which we'll get to in just a second. But I want to emphasize that really there's such a huge value in listening to yourself and honoring your life experience and seeing if you can distill the essence of what you learned so that you can share it with others. So how to market the book? Well, firstly, it'd be good if people knew about it. So for your book, Sprocketize, people can go to Amazon and get Sprocketize, I I would assume. But why not, you know, make it a practice that you mail a copy of your book to every new client or that you give it out, you know, at Christmas or whatever might be an appropriate time, or you send it to somebody on their birthday. So it just becomes part of the conversation uh, and that you leverage it that way. Obviously there's lots of marketing to be done. You can advertise on wherever might be the appropriate vehicle for you, but you can do Amazon ads, you can do Facebook ads, you can drive people to your book and you can apply for book awards. Like my book has been honored as the 2021 book of the business book of the year by the LA book festival and honored with a couple other book awards, but I'm applying for book awards partly because it's cool to have awards, but also to get the word out. Right. So You've, you spent all this time writing Sprocketize. Maybe you want to write another book like we talked about before you started recording, like a Tim Ferriss sort of Tools of Titans from these podcast interviews. And, and why not just consider it an extra value that you can add and work it into your routine? So Dan Sullivan, who's the founder of Strategic Coach, I mean, he writes a book every quarter. Little books, little short yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. But I think that this show is great. And, and why not? Why not consider how else you can add value to people? In no, different- absolutely. And and so you, you've touched on this a couple of times, and I've kind of I've kind of felt this like you know deep down. And I do this with a lot of different things. I'm curious to to get your perspective on it. But you know, I think that I think that a lot of people struggle with this as well. Where once you know something, once you've published something or you've learned something, you think, oh well, everybody else already knows that, right? That, like this is so such common knowledge you know, and then it, it kind of downplays what you just did. Like you put all your knowledge into this book and it's like, okay, well, you know, that's all, everybody knows all that stuff that I just put in there. So I, I guess, I don't even know what the question is there, but is that something that a lot of common? I, people... I, I love that you brought this up, Matt. I don't know if we'd call, call that the imposter syndrome or something like that, but there is that tendency, you know, once you, you've done something like, you know, before I had my MBA, I wanted to get one for years. And now that I've got one, I'm like, yeah, well, we'll get an MBA. Yeah. 
it's no big deal. Then we do ourselves such a disservice. It's kind of how our brain works though. We're always looking for what's missing or we're looking for what's next. Right. And we tend to diminish and discount what has already been done. But a good way to, or one way to overcome that, that I've found helpful is the Stoic philosophy, memento mori. So if you were to die tomorrow, what would you regret that you hadn't put in a book mm-hmm. or you hadn't put into your business or into your podcast or whatever the case may be? And so, for example, my my mother died recently. And when she passed, I was grateful for two things. I was grateful that I was there when she took her last breath mm-hmm. because she was there when I took my first breath and it yeah. seemed appropriate. Yeah. I was also glad that I had interviewed her over a course of several months. So I have about 10 hours of audio interviews, you know, so that her stories won't be lost over time. Yeah. Because, you know, you talk to your mother all the time. So I've heard that story a bunch of times, but you'd be surprised how quickly you forget. And so that was so precious to me that I had captured that. Yeah. And so I think we, we, um, we make, I mean, books are special. I love books. A book is like a seed. A book has that unique quality, like a seed that it can go for hundreds of miles and hundreds of years and still be viable when it's opened and, and uh, given the right water of, of attention. And it, a book is also intimate. So it's like a one-on-one mentoring conversation you're having with the reader. And I've been blessed by so many mentors who are you know, not even cohorts of mine, like Ralph Waldo Emerson or C.S. Lewis or Wayne Dyer, who did actually endorse my first published book. I met him and gave me a big hug and he endorsed my book. We have a story, but he's um, passed on now, but I still listen to his audio books. And so I think the way to combat imposter syndrome or discounting what we've learned syndrome is what if it's not about you? What if you have a responsibility to make the world a better place? And what if the only way you can make the world a better place is by sharing things that you already know, like, duh, (laughs) you don't know it yet. It it might not be as helpful to say, I'm floundering. You might want to try this too. No, it's like, I figured this out. You might want to try this too, or I floundered and don't go there. (laughs) Does that make sense? like I like that mindset. And again, I think, uh, again, it's just, it's all about, you know, getting over yourself and getting over your, yeah. your limiting beliefs and, you know, the, I'm not good enough, or this isn't good enough philosophy. And I like, I like that framework of, you know, kind of taking, taking a step back and, you know, looking at it as, you know, what am I going to, to leave, you know, if I was to die tomorrow, what, what, yeah. what can I pass on if I was to. But to be completely transparent, Matt, I have done that to my books. I'm like, Ah, well, everybody knows that now. And then I haven't marketed them and I haven't bothered, but it, what will be encouraging for you with, uh, with your books Brocketize is over 67% of book sales are from previously published books called back, back matter. So okay. now that I'm all excited about Amazon and international distribution, and now that eBooks have gotten a big boost to acceptance due to the COVID <laughs> and the pandemic, people are like, ah, I think I'll order the eBook. I am revivifying all my back matter and perhaps changing the title or actually getting the marketing to work online because previously I was all about, Hey, you know, giving people a soft cover book and and just connecting with my, with my list. So it's for, for you and for everybody else who's perhaps got something um, on the shelf or potentially on the shelf, like it's not too late. 
you can still make a difference with it. And yeah. I think yeah. I think we should everybody who's a communicator or a thought leader or who's learning and evolving as they go, I think we should make it part of our approach. Why not write a book mm-hmm. a, a book a year or yeah. every 90 days? Yeah, yeah. Learn together and experience everything together and you'll pass it on. So this is this is really this is really interesting. Um, if, if people want to learn more about you, your your well, obviously you have your book, but um, uh, what would you say is the best way to, to get in touch with you or again, learn more about some of the things that you've done? Well, the best way to learn more is to get the book, Turn Words Into Wealth, Blueprint for Your Business Brand and Book, especially if you get it in May, because it's absolutely free. The ebook is free on Amazon, Apple, Kobo, and wherever books are sold. Uh, if people would like to learn more, they could go to my website, which is my name, auroraswinter.com. And the best way to connect with me is LinkedIn. I'm a big fan of uh, Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. So I'm not, I'm not all about scattering my energy over gazillion different social media platforms, but you can direct message me on LinkedIn and uh, I'll be glad to help. Very cool. And, and real quick too, did you write the book for any, any one particular person, whether it be an entrepreneur or industry or anything like that? Any, any insights into who would benefit the most from it, would you say? Um, my most recent book, Turn Words Into Wealth, really, I wrote it primarily for an entrepreneur or thought leader who has some life experience or business experience, but who has the thought, I'm not a writer. How am I going to write a book? Or why should I even write a book? Or why me? You know, but it is also for, you know, for people who have a burning mesh, but have no idea how authors actually make money. Yeah. Most people don't know that New York Times bestselling authors typically make 85% of their money from other things besides book sales. Yeah. So it just made me so sad. It makes me so sad when people don't honor their stories and share their stories. And I especially like people to share their stories in the book. But the other thing that makes me really sad is when people go to all the trouble of writing a book, Matt, yes. and then have no idea how to monetize it. And so yeah. the book is this beautiful jewel that's hidden away and that nobody gets the chance to benefit from. And that that's simply because they they it's not their fault. They don't understand how authors typically monetize books. It's like a an iceberg. You know, we can see the top, we can see the book, but we don't see all the business that yeah. is underneath it. So turn words into wealth, I, I hope will solve those two problems for for the readers. I love it. I love it. Aurora, this is fantastic. Um, And I'm sure that there's all kinds of avenues that we could go off into. So maybe we could do this again sometime and and dive deep into, you know, some of those, those different avenues, but, uh, but really such a pleasure connecting with you. You're a load of fun. (laughs) We'll do it again. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.